Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. For years and years and years, we've been raising meat animals on our homestead. We pretty much started right out the gate with meat chickens. And after about a year or two of doing some meat chickens... I had the meat bug, I figured, you know what, we're going to raise some pigs next. And we did pigs for a couple years and we expanded from there and over the years here at our channel, here at Homesteady, we have done pigs, we've done chickens, we've done turkeys, we've had goats, we've had lambs and sheep. We've raised almost every kind of meat animal you could imagine. But there was one glaring spot on our channel, on our podcast, that we had never covered, never talked about, and I got comments about it every single day. Aust, rabbits. Rabbits, rabbits, rabbits. For years and years and years, people have been saying, when are you going to do rabbits? And every single year, my answer was the same thing. Probably next year. I kept putting it off, putting it off, because it was totally new. Totally new kind of animal, totally new kind of infrastructure. And at the end of the day, in my mind, it was the same kind of product as what I was getting from my chickens. So I didn't have a real big push to do it. Well, as you guys know from watching the channel this last year, I've had about the biggest push I've ever had to do the most things on the homestead ever. My fifth baby just kicked us in the rear and pushed us to do all kind of new things. He has a lot of food allergies. Everything that Kay eats winds up affecting him. And so immediately we went to the lists of foods that were low on the allergy, uh, you know, possibility that you would be allergic to it. And rabbit was one of the leading sources of meat on the low allergy list. So just like that, after about six or seven years of dragging my feet, 
we went out and got a breeding pair of rabbits. But before we did, we had to do some research because we don't like to dive into anything without doing a little bit of research at least. We found a book, Raising Meat Rabbits in a Colony. We found this book and we tore into the book and we learned everything there was to know about how to get started with rabbits in a different kind of environment than at least what we're used to seeing here in the United States. First videos came out on the channel and it was like the rabbit police came out of everywhere. Wee, wee, what are you doing? Everybody's gonna die. It's gonna be a murder scene. This is not going to work. Raising rabbits in hutches is what we're used to seeing here. But in other places, like all the way over in New Zealand, uh, raising rabbits in a colony is more normal, more what you might be used to seeing. And tonight we're gonna talk to the author who wrote the book that we built our whole rabbit colony off of. Donna Thompson is here. She has a website and a YouTube channel. You can click the link below to subscribe to her YouTube channel. I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to say this right. Piwaka Waka Valley Homestead. Did I get it right, Donna? Yeah, you did. All right, good. I got to work on my New Zealand pronunciation. But uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Donna. We've been really looking forward to this interview. Let's talk about rabbits. Now, we're here to talk about rabbits, but before we dive in, I want the audience to get to know you a little bit and what's going on. Tell us a little bit about your family, a little bit about your homestead, what people might see if they bumped over to your YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, we are a family of six now. We've um, Our baby boy is a very similar age to your wee man. He's maybe a couple months younger, I think. And um, so we live on 10 acres, um, probably about half an hour away from the closest city. And um, we've just had our very first frost for the year. Um, so we're heading into winter, of course. Um, we've got goats, uh, well, we've got a dairy goat, um, as well as we've got a few meat goats as well. So um, boar and boar cross meat goats. Um, we did have a Jersey cow at one stage, but our place is really steep and um, it just didn't work out having her here. She ended up slipping and she broke her tail. So her tail kind of came along and had a wee kink in it. <laughs> It's goat territory. Great <laughs> for the poor cow. Um, and then the New Zealand had an outbreak of a disease called microbovis, um, and so everyone got super aware of not let, borrowing bulls anywhere or letting. So she could, we couldn't get her bred, and it was just yeah. So anyway, long story short, she ended up in the freezer. She was quite delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's making uh, turning lemons into lemonade, right? Exactly that. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so we've got cooning coonies as well, um, three older ones, they're probably about six months old now. One of them is going to be our breeding boar. And yesterday I just went and picked up two little sows. They're so cute, they're only like <laughs> this big. <laughs> um, so yeah, we picked them up yesterday. We've got a whole raft of chickens, probably far too many chickens. Um, and we have had for years meat rabbits. Um, I haven't got them currently because when I was pregnant with the baby, I'm the one that processes them and it was just too hard to do it all while, while I was pregnant and with a newborn and stuff. So we've moved those on for now, but we probably will get into them again in the next year or so. Now you did mention yeah. you're heading into winter. Isn't New Zealand winter like 
three minutes? <laughs> well, we think it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> we did an interview, this probably a couple years ago, with Garrick Batten, the man who actually was responsible for breeding him and his wife, uh, the Kiko goat. He's like where that started. And it was in New Zealand. And he told me, uh, partially what you said about your cow, he talked about the train was just not good for anything, but for goats, it was great. And that their growing season where he was, was uh, 11 months out of the year. So anything you could do, uh, agriculture is, he said, the second biggest export in New Zealand was agriculture. Every minute that sun's shining, that you're trying to take advantage of it. For someone like him, it was for his business. Uh, but for people like us, with a whole bunch of kids to feed, you had to go and beat me with number six there. Uh, we got to feed our family. Why are meat rabbits something that we should be thinking about, Dana? Donna, I'm uh, going to do that. I'm, I knew right away. It's Donna, it's not a, Dana. She's, it is Donna. <laughs> I had a boss and she called me Dana all the time. <laughs> not just the accent. <laughs> Um, meat rabbits are great. The reason we got them was we, when we first moved here, we built here. And so this is, our house is actually a farm shed, like what you would call a barn, I guess. It's, we've got poles in our kitchen, you know, like big posts. Um, and so we got the builders to put the outside up and we did all the inside ourselves. But in the meantime, we also owned 30 laying chickens so we threw up a pellet house just built out of pellets and they just free ranged over the whole place they had no run or anything but we wanted some kind of meat production right um so it was something that we could get into really easily it's got a really low cost to get into um and so and then we could just build a quick shed and we kept them in there we can't have our rabbits out on the pasture i know of at least two different people that I am in contact with in the States that keep their rabbits. They have basically a rabbit paddock that they keep them out in. So it's a rabbit proof fence that you dig down so they can't burrow out, but they don't have the sky predators like we have here. We've got both hawks and falcons um, that live here. In fact, the falcon nicked some of the neighbors bantam chickens. They just Ooh. come in and steal them and take off with them. They're too easy. A bantam chicken. Yeah, you could probably grab one in each claw. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and so we can't have them out. And also in New Zealand and Australia, we have that RCD, the rabbit Khaleesi virus, that's like the super virus that they release to kill the wild population. Um, so our, our pet rabbits and our wild rabbits are the same species, whereas um, in the same in the UK, whereas in America, your wild cottontails are a different species to the, um, the rabbits that you would breed at home, the pet rabbits. So generally speaking, they won't crossbreed. And if they do, they're infertile, like breeding a donkey and a horse, I guess. Um, and they have quite different social patterns as well. Anyway, um, so we couldn't keep ours outside. So we built a shed and we kept them in there. Um, and so it was a really good way for us to get quick meat for the family because, well, we got really good breeders eventually to start with. We just bought what we could get. Um, but we discovered that it's definitely better to get to get the better breeders to get the ones that grow faster. Yeah, so we started with Californians, and they they were great. But when we got our New Zealand whites, we're like they're a totally different animal. They're small. You can raise them in a backyard, which was the other good thing. Um, I know of a lot of people here that will just grow them in hutches in their backyard, 
because they're considered pets, right? So um, you can pick up a breeding pair for say 40 or $50 and get a couple of hutches and grow them in your backyard. It's the, that's the best thing about them. They grow really fast. You can have grow outs ready for the freezer in eight to 10 weeks, which is quite similar to your commercial chickens um, speed wise, um, but they're self replicating. You're not having to get them from a hatchery or whatever. That is one of the biggest reasons I have started to shift our focus here at this homestead. For years, we've done Cornish cross from the hatchery chicks. And we've done the Rangers. You get the Freedom Rangers or the Red Rangers, whatever they are. And I, I think they're Cornish crosses with good marketing. But we've done that for years. I've always been a big pro. And I still think a lot of people, that's a good choice. I mean, I, I have 80 Cornish cross chicks that are about ready to go out into a chicken tractor in about a week here. So they do fill the need. But this year, having started with rabbits, everything you just said, uh, low cost of entry, you get two of them, quick turnaround. We've already, we got them in January, we're already eating rabbit for dinner. So super fast. And that one little thing right there, a lot of people are homesteading for self-sufficiency. The Cornish cross, you, you cannot call that self-sufficient because you are dependent on the hatchery for that. Rabbits, total opposite. But now you did mention something important there, uh, when we are thinking about the self-sufficiency side of things, that means we are doing the breeding. We want to make sure we have what you said, a good breeding pair. So what some advice do you give to someone if they're going to get started? There's always the get the cheapest thing out there if that's all you can afford. But if you, if you have a little bit more, what do you look for when getting started in a breeding pair? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, I mean, any rabbit's made of meat, right? So you can you can eat any of them, but some of them are worth your time a bit more than others. Believe it or not, meat rabbits are not a particularly common thing in New Zealand, it's growing, but most people consider rabbits a pest. And if they eat rabbits, they go out and hunt for them because like even here, we have wild rabbits just out in the bush. You can just, <laughs> if you can spot them, you can shoot them, you can eat them. But um, homemade rabbit is a totally different thing because you're eating them so young and tender and so the wild ones are kind of gamey and stringy and old and have to be stewed and whereas these young ones that you get if you're getting a good breed so what you're wanting is one that's got good form basically so there are some breeds that are better for it than others new zealand whites despite the name we're actually bred in america (laughs) (laughs) the name came from um and they for me they were the best that we could find we found a line actually all the way up in the north island so i paid quite a bit to get them shipped down but it was life-changing having the better breed the better ones so they're a lot bigger and 
if you're looking confirmation wise you want ones that when you have them sitting they look like a ball they've kind of got this big arch to them they're not all long and flat and then your hips and your shoulders should be about the width, same width if you're looking down on top of them so that's considered good confirmation so you're going to get lots of meat in the haunches as well as lots in the shoulder when you say look like a ball are you talking about if you're looking face on like you're having a staring contest with the rabbit so like side on side. so if you cover their cover their eyes with your hand and kind of so that they're sitting so their heads here and their bodies like this they have quite a high arch to their back um and that just means that they've got lots of meat in that in that bit of the um back as well um with the sort of loin meat and stuff and then yeah looking down on top of them you want them to almost be sort of an oblong so their their shoulders and their back haunches should both be quite wide um and a good broad chest will mean that they've got plenty of room for a good set of heart and lungs, which will, um, of course, help them grow faster. That's so uh, New Zealand whites would probably be the best breed, I, I'd say. But there are others like you guys have got the American blue. Is that what they call? That's what we yeah. got. And we, we went yeah. for them. <laughs> the biggest reason we went for them was because we were like, quick, we need rabbit. Who's got rabbit? Hey, they have a rabbit. What is it? American? Sure, I don't care. Get us rabbit. We had we had to start feeding Kay and the baby, and we just got whatever we wanted. You mentioned the New Zealands. We talked about Americans. Uh, if they can't find, is there any others out there that you would say are also another good one if they can't find the New Zealands? Yeah, for sure. There's three that are kind of classically bred specifically for meat, and that would be the New Zealand, the Californian, and the Florida white. And they're, they're, if you're just wanting meat, they're probably the three more meaty, faster growing. They're the classic ones that have been bred specifically for that. And then there's ones that um, if you're wanting to use the pelts as well, or some people just like the colorful rabbits, you know, so um that's when the americans come in and rex is a really common one they grow really fast um and you can get the standard rex not the mini rex but they have those beautiful pelts as well which means that you can sell spears as pets and people will use the pelts for stuff um and silver fox is another really common one used as meat rabbits overall they're not as big but when you get to an eight week kit they they grow pretty fast um and they have the beautiful uh, flecky uh, fur on them. Where we have New Zealand, uh, we have silver fox in New Zealand, and they're a totally different breed to the American New, uh, silver fox. So I'm talking about the American silver fox. They're good meat rabbits. Um, and the Flemish. A lot of people ask about the Flemish giant, uh, but the problem with them. I mean, you can eat them. They're made of meat, but those <laughs> first eight to ten weeks they tend to spend their time building bone structure. Oh, wow. So you'll get a lot less, they'll be heavy, but you'll actually get a lot less meat off them. <laughs> they, they don't muscle bone. up till later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my problem. <laughs> people, a lot of people have been opened up to the idea of a colony. I'm seeing emails and questions on the channel. Aust, I, I like the way this looks. People who wanted to do rabbits, but didn't want to do them because of the cage thing. Uh, are now interested in this, but like everything, I, I said this recently in a video, we talked about this, uh, there's pros and cons to everything. So let's dive into that. Uh, colonies, cages, let's talk about both of them and give us your advice on both. 
the very first time I even came across the idea of a colony was I was a kid and we went, my mum was a preschool teacher. The preschool wanted a rabbit. So we went to see this breeder lady who had the shed and we go inside and it's just, there's rabbits and guinea pigs everywhere and they're hooning around and it looked really healthy and lovely. The rabbits were just so happy and they're like jumping around and kick flipping and having grand old time. <laughs> and I thought, that is the way to raise a rabbit. <laughs> so when we looked into keeping rabbits later, like as an adult, we had, well, first thing, our very first pet when we got married was a bunny and we called him Nudge. His name was Nudge <laughs> Montgomery and he was a house rabbit and he was toilet trained and he honed around the house. And and so when we decided to get me rabbits, I, I was just like, we can't keep them in. That, that just didn't sit right with me. Rabbits are naturally really social. They're quite different to the American cottontails, which are quite solitary animals. And hares are quite solitary as well. Whereas the English rabbit, they are really social. They live in big social groups. They love to snuggle. They have a social hierarchy. Uh, so it just made sense to me that it was a lot more natural way to actually keep them. But there are some merits to keeping them in cages, right? So in a cage, they're easy to catch. They're easy to keep clean, especially if your cage has a grate on the floor. I've seen some really good ones with hanging cages with grated floors where they just have a bucket underneath that the poop all falls into. Um, if you've got them separate in a cage, they can't fight. They have no social hierarchy, but they can't fight either. Um, and you can stack quite a few cages into a smaller space. If you're limited on space, maybe a colony might not be the best, best option, but um, you can do a colony on in a fairly small space if you don't have too many bunnies. When you release them into the colony, what do you see about the fighting? Usually the dominant doe will have a go at anyone new and say I'm the boss. It's similar to chickens. There's a bit of a pecking order. The boys if there's only one boy there and there's a bunch of girls, it'll tend to be the girls that are fighting. The boys are pretty laid back and will stick to themselves. If you stick a couple bucks in together and your current buck is territorial, then you'll have problems. Uh, they have been known to castrate each other very quickly. Rabbit claws and rabbit teeth are very sharp and they seem to have really good aim. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But generally speaking, the bucks are pretty laid back and it's the girls that you'll get them being grumpy, especially if there's a litter in the in the colony at the time. Some does get really protective. And that is one of the downsides to the New Zealand whites is they're not as personable. I've never had any problem with them, but I know that they can get pretty snarky. So it does tend to be the girls that you have to watch out for. But if there's plenty of space, usually you can just plop them in and they'll have a bit of a scuffle and sort themselves out pretty quickly. That's pretty much what we saw when we added the new ones. There was a scuffle, and we're used to that with almost every animal. You, th you throw new chickens together, you throw new pigs together, new goats. Everybody's going to, you know, have at it for a few minutes. And there is a difference between endangering another animal and them just establishing rank. And you kind of get used to, after homesteading for so many years, you can usually spot pretty quickly, this is going somewhere bad, or oh, this is going to be okay. You sit and you watch it for a little bit. Uh, so yeah, so that was one of the biggest things we saw in the comment section when we started with the colony was they're going to fight, um, they're going to castrate the males, the females will castrate the males, the males will castrate the females, everybody's going to kill everybody. <laughs>
didn't happen. <laughs> but generally, yeah, generally it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Um, and you can cull really hard for vicious animals. If you have a nasty doe that's just going everybody, she'll make a really good stew. <laughs> <laughs> While we were talking about the colony now, uh, we you, you did mention, I mean, there are pros to a cage. Uh, there's pros to, you know, you can control the breeding a little bit better. You can fit more in a tighter space. Cleaning is an easier thing. Uh, what about the colony? What are the pros to the colony? Other than the rabbits have a nice, well, happy life. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a big thing. That's though, a big right? one. Yeah, like, I shouldn't like, you... other than that. <laughs> <laughs> happy meets healthy meat. And you know that they've had a good life and just one rough day. Um, but the other good things about it, the rabbits tend to be more friendly. If you let them run, they don't feel so threatened. And so even our rabbits that weren't picked up and cuddled will come running up for food. Whereas in a cage, those same rabbits would probably attack you when you open the cage because they're feeling threatened. They're all closed in. Whereas when they've got that freedom, they tend to make for night. But you do tend to, in a colony, your rabbits will tend to be hardier. Um, they develop to a lot of things. Um, they get a lot better muscle tone because they're able to run around. And so you'll probably find usually they sort of meet up a bit faster than the cage ones. I don't know. For me, the big payoff was the happy rabbits. Um, the letting them naturally breed was really um, took a lot of stress away from trying to work out when you should be breeding rabbits and all that sort of stuff as well. That was something I loved how you covered that in your book. It was very kind of just like eye opening. Uh, the first round of comments that we got when we did the, we announced we're doing a colony was everyone's going to kill everyone, and the second was what about the doe being overbred? She's got, he's never going to give her a break. She's going to constantly being bred. Talk a little bit. What have you seen raising rabbits in a colony as far as the breeding cycle? How does that go? Well, rabbit, rabbits are prey animals, right? So they, they die easy and they breed readily. And so that's just their role in nature is that they do breed a lot. And if you have a wild herd of rabbits, flock of rabbits, I don't even know what <laughs> I think they're called fluffle of rabbits. <laughs> How can you forget a fluffle? <laughs> So actually, they come into their own natural cycle. So when you first put them together, you'll find that they probably will have babies every four weeks pretty quickly. Um, but it does eventually settle down as long as the doe has really good condition. So she's getting a plenty of high protein food and she's not all skin and bone. Then she is usually happier breeding. That's, that's what they're made to do that's their role in life and so but when she's sick of it she will tell that buck to rack off <laughs> they're quite happy to stand their ground and just say no it depends where you live but in places that get quite hot over the heat of the summer they'll often stop slow down you'll often miss a batch or two over the heat of the summer and then sometimes in the cold of the winter if you get really really cold they'll often skip there as well and sort of focus more on spring and autumn, you know, spring and fall. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned this quickly, but it, I remember this really resonating with us. We have so much going on in this homestead. So many animals that we have to manage a lot, like high management. Letting them breed at a more natural cycle, what does that do for your life? Well, it's, it just takes the whole stress off the whole breeding program thing. We made sure we had a really good buck and we had some good does and we just let them do their thing. 
back being every other weekend as well so it had to fit around my work schedule and we would just know that that was going to be processing day and occasionally we'd have two litters within sort of a week or two of each other and so we'd put them in together do one a little older than they should and one a little younger than they should and just made a big day of it um but it was just so much less worrying about it and we always had an extra dough in the wings just in case something happened so we would often keep one and if it got to the point where they were getting a wee bit older and closer to breeding and our actual breeders were still fine we'd often sell it on as a pet or whatever that's another Um, good question a lot of people asked was how do you make sure as the grow outs are getting closer to being ready are they also getting close to actually where they could start trying to breed do you control that do you separate them do you worry about that do you butcher them before you even have to worry about that how does that work out i found the best way because we left our buck in the colony uh every four to six weeks usually we would have another bunch of growats born and so we were finding that she just got too full too fast and that's when you get your infighting and it becomes an issue so we would pull our babies out usually around five weeks because our does would wean them between four and five weeks she would should kick them off you'll get people that will argue that no they should be with their mother for eight weeks the reality is by eight weeks the mother's got another litter that she's already weaning quite often and those eight week olds are just in the way so we would pull them out usually around five weeks that would give them four weeks with their mum definitely having milk usually that fifth week she was kicking them off and so we would pull them out and put them into a separate we can't do tractors here because it's too steep so we just had (laughs) another separate pen that we put them in another house and just made sure that they were getting that high protein feed in there and doing their thing and we would you'll find a a line that's maturing that that's growing to a good size by eight weeks will be ready to breed usually by about three or four months so you it's unlikely that they'll be bred at eight weeks yeah that's so that's i mean plenty of time you have plenty of time there we have ours now we actually just you'll see this upcoming video on the channel Uh, we actually just today moved them we've had them in little prototype tractor rabbit tractor and we just moved them into, I finished up a John Siskovich chicken tractor, nice big tractor, and we put 11 of our furthest along grow outs in the tractor. And we've been doing this now for a couple weeks in the smaller prototype one that I built. And what I noticed right away is I gave them uh, on-demand pellets because I understand I wanna make sure they're getting the minerals they need, I wanna make sure they're getting that protein level but they selectively chose the grass 100%. It wasn't until that was mowed and we hadn't yet moved them that they'd start working on the pellet. Are they going to get in a good, and I know this, you know, everybody's grass is different, what's growing is different, but can they get what they need in, a, you know, if they're out in a chicken or out in a rabbit tractor or if you're moving them into different paddocks, will they get enough from that? Do you still have to supplement? wild rabbits here eat nothing but grass and fruit tree bark (laughs) (laughs) sounds like you've had a few problems with that (laughs) (laughs) but generally they eat grass they eat weeds they eat what's out in the pasture and that's what they live off and they thrive off it we are you know we have a real overpopulation problem here because they thrive off the grass 
they will grow slightly slower. But for me, if I could, I would grow them on grass because that payoff for us is worth it yeah. to not be putting all the feed money into them. For us, that we so we would um, even our ones in the shed. We can't harvest. We can't have them on our wild grass because of the wild rabbits carrying RCD, which will just kill all our rabbits. So we have an area that's all fenced off that the wild rabbits can't get into that grows long grass. So we would harvest big handfuls of that. So our rabbits would always get whatever dry food they were getting plus a big handful, big handfuls of grass. Um, and so our rabbits would get dry food as well as a big handful of grass um, each day for them to eat. I was doing some research into uh, so I heard from somebody hey if you want to feed your because originally before they were outside we were like how do we get the grass into them and someone had said oh you know take your lawnmower with the bagger and bag up all your clippings and you can feed that to your rabbits now I've read since then some people warn against that because the grass will start to ferment and it can make your rabbits sick do you have any experience with that we don't do it personally because I tend to use the grass as a mulch on the garden but I do know that you can do it. Um, the trick is to do it um, so that if your grass is all clumped in together, that's when it gets hot and ferments really fast. If you can fluff it up and not give them too much at once, it is a good way of doing it. But it's not something you could mow the lawns on Saturday and feed for the rest of the week. Oh, uh, okay. You'd be, yeah, you'd be better off um, getting... We have a rice knife, but it's like a handle with a... It's like a tiny scythe okay, yeah. you can use for cutting grass. And that works really fast. And we just grab a bucket of that. And so it's the fresh grass and it's not all chopped up. So either way, any kind of supplementation is going to ease that feed bill. And we have seen a huge change. Now, I appreciate what Donna said. Um, it will cause them to grow slower. So you got to remember, like we've talked about in the last video we made about this, there are pros and cons to everything. If you want a big fat rabbit quick having that perfectly for formulated feed uh, that's going to do the trick but for us we don't mind waiting a little bit longer we don't mind having a smaller end product if it came to us for very little money that's got a lot of value we eat a lot of wild game which wild game is you know takes a little bit longer a little bit more strong flavor a little less fat a little less amount but less cost to it so for us it was a, a huge we we decided to go with the pro of spending a lot less on feed and we are seeing a huge reduction in the feed bill which is really nice your homestead and your advice to others is it a hundred percent for me just rabbit is it a 50 50 75 20 with some meat chickens in there what do you guys find yourselves doing and you know what do you advise for others trying to do what you're doing I think it depends how much money you have to invest in the whole thing, actually, because we have raised our Cornish cross equivalent in New Zealand are called cobs. So we grew 10 cobs recently with the last batch of chicks that we grew, but we don't have access to a plucker. And oh, by the man. time I had five of those, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so like a chicken, when I was plucking by hand, took me about 10 minutes to do a rough enough job. Whereas a rabbit, I can process out completely in four minutes. So uh, for me, that was that was the comparison that I was making. If you have access to a plucker, especially a drum plucker, I think maybe doing 50-50, I think there's definitely some merit to 
having a range and I think that sort of that built-in sustainability is having options and if something's not working so well do something else yeah I, I guess it depends if you don't want to be importing chickens from a, a uh, hatchery all the time then maybe rabbits is a better idea if you're looking at breeding your own chickens knowing that they're going to take longer to grow out you know maybe do both i personally miss the skin like a chicken and rabbit taste very similar but the chicken skin is awesome <laughs> oh man you're it's so funny you are exactly all my bullet points in my head you're psh, 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 psh. i mean if you've hand plucked a chicken it is it's ridiculous and stupid and then our first rabbit butcher we went, we set up inside the garage. It was rainy. We set up inside the garage, something we would never do with feathers flying everywhere. We set up inside the garage. Four minutes, you can be done. It's the speed and the processing. We didn't even have that in our outline to cover today, but that's something you got to consider is it is so much easier. And I think you already were hinting at this, the expense in doing chickens, not only is it the feed, it's the equipment. I was up last night at 3 a.m. because uh, my son was having like growing pains and you know you're parenting so you're up at 3 a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep so I was like I need to buy a chicken plucker and a chicken scalder holy three thousand dollars I might just never do another meat chicken again in my life and I might just do rabbits <laughs> but then there's the skin so when you're cooking let's the final thing I wanted to make sure we cover what do you get in rabbit versus chicken uh, and then you know, any tips for those who have never had rabbit before? What do they do with it? So rabbit, obviously you're taking the skins off. Otherwise you're going to have a fluffy dinner. Although <laughs> I have, I have in a meat group that I was in, people were shaving them and then, oh, I can't remember they're somehow getting the fluff off so oh, they could man. leave the skin on. But that just weirded me no, out. Oh, <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> so, um, uh, so you have to cook it similar to what you would like a, a skinless chicken. So it, you've got to add some moisture in there. The, it is really low in fat, so you need to add some extra fat in there as well. Wrapping it in bacon is a really good option. Um, <laughs> Who needs skin when you have bacon? Wrap <laughs> <laughs> all the things in bacon. Yeah. Um, we would often do more like a stew or a casserole sort of idea with some tomatoes and spices and things, you know, canned tomatoes, just to add that moisture so it didn't dry out. Um, even if we were baking it, I'd often tip, you know, a can of coconut milk or something over the top just to help keep that moisture in there. Um, and frying it, you can like coat it like chicken and fry it. That works really well. That's pretty tasty. Um, but generally speaking, especially if it's an older rabbit or a bigger rabbit, stewing it's the way to go. The slow cooker is really quite helpful. You wouldn't want to be roasting it, I don't think, um, because unless you've got it wrapped in something like bacon, because it will just dry out too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well this has been a awesome deep dive into Rabbits 101. I, I put out an email today, Donna, that we were going to cover meet rabbits 101 and you two would not let me make a live stream called that so i just called it raising rabbits on a homestead 
but we got away with it. So we got the whole, everyone's still watching. If you have any questions, now's the time to fire them off. I'm gonna check at the uh, Live from the Barn chat box, see if any of our Homesteady Pioneers have any questions before we finish up here. I did wanna let those of you watching live know, before we dive into questions, uh, this will be our last live on YouTube. Uh, we were doing it live on YouTube during the quarantine time. Our quarantines are starting to lift, and so uh, the upcoming shows are going to be back just at the website, Live from the Barn. We have a couple really good shows coming up on chicken health. We have a show coming up about uh, IPPs specifically, the Idaho pastured pigs, but also just talking about grazing pigs in general. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about cooney coonies in there. Um, we have a somebody coming on to talk about feed. We have a whole episode about goats and what they're going to do to your life. <laughs> so we have a lot of really good shows coming out. As you know, those of you who aren't pioneers, we do release uh, a, a good segment from each of these shows. So you'll be seeing still these shows. But if you want to join us live, uh, become a Homesteady Pioneer. This is homesteady.com. Click on shop and then pioneer. There might even be a link below this video to do so. You can join live and you can ask questions. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us. This was a awesome deep dive into rabbits. If people want to continue learning about meat rabbits, first off, tell us about your book. And then also you do a lot more right now. You're not even doing meat rabbits, but you do a lot more at the homestead. So tell us about your book and then tell us about where people can find you and what to, what to expect. I put the book together. First it started, I was writing blog posts on my, I've got a blog, Pewaka Valley. It's now .co.nz, but if you go to .com, it'll redirect. Um, which I know is really hard to spell. I'm sorry. <laughs> when we started here, Pewakawaka is like a little, uh, it's a fantail bird and Pewakawaka is the Maori name for it. And it just means that it moves quickly like this. Um, <laughs> and so we named the place Pewakawaka Valley because we have so many of them here. I didn't expect it to become a thing where other people in the States had to try and find us. <laughs> it's really hard to spell um anyway so i started writing stuff on the blog about keeping meat rabbits and colonies because there was just no information out there and i was learning a lot there's quite a good facebook group that i was an admin in for a really long time called meat rabbits and colonies and um so the stuff i was learning as we were going i was writing it on the blog and then someone said why don't you write a book and so I've kind of compiled a lot of that information plus a bunch more and a disease reference section and stuff and made it into a book, which is now on Amazon. And it's, I'm surprised it's, I sell a couple of those a week. Like there, there's quite a bit of interest into that. Yeah, I, I'm so, not surprised. It's a great book and it was easy to find and it was uh, very, very thorough. I, I was, it answered all our questions getting into this. We had heard about colonies before, but we, like you said, we were looking for a resource and there still is not a whole lot on the internet. Shocking. Um, and uh, it was a great book. I'm actually, while you're sharing this with us, I'm going to add the link to the description so people, or to the chat box so people can go look at it right now. Cool. So if people want to ask me more questions, they're welcome to. I, They can either contact me, like email me through the webs. My blog's got a contact thingy on it. Or I also have a Facebook group, like it's called Homestead Anywhere with Pewakuka Valley. And so if you want to join that group, you're welcome to and ask me rabbity questions in there. I'm quite happy to answer them as I can. And then uh, as far as here on YouTube, 
let's go flood right now your YouTube channel. Where can people find it? That's in the description of this video. Tell us about your YouTube channel. Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel that I put videos on twice a week on growing and preserving your own food and other homesteading bits and bobs. Um, and so I post, it's our Monday and Friday, which I guess in the US is like a Sunday and a Thursday, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, just to confuse everybody. Um, and yeah, so it's, my channel's called Piwakuka Valley Homestead, which again, it's hard to spell. <laughs> <laughs> I still put a link somewhere, surely. <laughs> we got a link in the description. It's actually, though, I, it's phonetic. You think of Fozzie Bear, right? Waka Waka, there's half of it right there. P.I. Fozzie Bear. We're good to go. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time with us to do this interview. Um, we were really excited. It's cool because we read your book, and, and I'm going through my emails, and I saw an email about Cooney Cooney Pigs and a little bit of advice on not letting them get too fat. And I was like, wait a second, I recognize that name, Piwaka Waka. I recognized Piwaka Waka is what I recognized because I remember downloading it and thinking, that's a funny name, Piwaka Waka. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I know who that is. I wonder if they do an interview. So thank you so much, Donna, for taking this time. This has been an awesome interview. I think we've answered every question you could possibly have as far as getting started. And if you want to continue, get that book. I added it to the chat box, and later on I'll add it to the description of the video. Uh, and then go ahead and check out Donna's uh, YouTube channel, her videos, all the other stuff going on. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this live show tonight. Like I said, starting next week, we're back to just doing Home Study Live from, uh, live from the barn back at our website. If you'd like to join us, become a Home Study Pioneer. You get to join us live and ask questions of the guests like we saw tonight. And you get access to our entire library of all our full-length episodes in in back uh, going backwards but don't worry if you're not a pioneer you're still going to get to see the edited versions thank you so much for joining us and uh, we're going to shut the show down now we'll see you in tomorrow's video 